You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's a member of our team with this week's message. So let's go ahead and jump in to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start with the first four verses. This is kind of the introduction, and let me remind you that when we left off last week at the end of chapter 1, Paul had written a request to the Philippians, and he said, be united against those who oppose the message of Jesus. Paul knew that there was real suffering happen. People were really being persecuted. He was a living example of giving his life and being persecuted, thrown in jail for the message of Jesus. And so he knew that there were opposing outside forces. And so Paul said, If you want the message of Jesus to really transform your community, you are going to have to be united. So that's where we leave off at the end of chapter one. Paul's saying, be united so that people know there is something different about you as the church, as followers of Jesus. This is where he picks up in chapter two. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And this is, this is Paul's request to the Philippians. He says, hey, you need to be united so that when people look at you, they see something different about you. They see a unity that they don't have in their own lives. But then he goes deeper here, and this is where he's breaking down how that unity is even possible. And here, uh, Paul is, at, at the beginning of this chapter, he's saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, he's saying, if you have been transformed and touched by the love of God, if your life has been changed for the better because of the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God, if you have felt his love in your life, if that is you, can anybody relate to that? If that is you, then this is what you ought to do. If you have any sharing in the spirit, tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. He's saying, nothing would make me happier. This would be the absolute best thing that you could do as a fellow believer and sufferer for the gospel. Nothing would make me happier than this. And this is the first thing that Paul calls us to do. This is the first way we can find joy and humility. It's to be united in Christ's love. That passage goes on, it says, be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. We are called to be united in the love of God. Now today, when most of you got up, you might have noticed it's a little bit cooler outside. The temperatures are dropping, the leaves are changing, pumpkin spice is back. So fall is here. And with fall brings an annual rewatch in my house of Anne of Green Gables. I love that show. I love the book. If you are not familiar with Anne of Green Gables, it has a great fall aesthetic to it. So it might be good for you to to check out this fall. But I love to watch that show every year. And if you are familiar, you know that Anne is the character, the main character of this story. And she is not the easiest person to love. She is rambunctious and very emotional and kind of silly. And so she's not the easiest 
character to love, but she has in her story what she calls kindred spirits. And Pastor even used that term earlier, kindred spirits. These are people in Anne's life that we see all throughout her story, people who she feels a closeness to, that she feels a deep connection to. You know people, and you talk with them and you say, they just get me. They just totally get me. They understand me. Those were Anne's kindred spirits, people that she just felt a comfort from being around because they just got each other. As I was re-watching and, and thinking about those kindred spirits, I thought about how in my life I have a kindred spirit, and it's someone that I met. I work here at our coffee shop at Maker's Coffee, and I met this person just over the past few years. Her name is Gretel, and she comes in every once in a while, and if I'm being honest, I do not know that much about Gretel's life outside of what I see at Maker's. I know her kids' names. I know that she prefers oat milk instead of whole milk. I I know a very little bit about her actual life, but let me tell you, I love when I get to see her because the spirit of God and the love of God is so evident in her life. Every time I talk to her, I feel so much joy just from our conversation. She is full of God's spirit, and so it is just such a joy every time we get to talk together. And a a few months ago, my husband Chandler and I were coming up on our one-year anniversary two weeks from today. So a few weeks ago, Gretel came into Makers and she was carrying a Bible, which is not unusual for Gretel by any means, but she came in and she put it in my hands. She gave it to me and she said, I know this is a very delayed wedding gift. I'm about eight months late, but this is for you and Chandler. And she gave me this Bible and it's one that she had poured over. There were notes all through this Bible, little pages that she had tucked in, verses she had highlighted and prayers she had written down, little devotions and and scriptures and places for us to look back to in the word of God when times get tough. And it was the most precious gift. Let me tell you, Chandler and I were so thankful for every bedspread and pot and pan that we got when we got married, every uh, gift that we received, but there was something so precious about someone pouring their heart and their time and their energy into giving us a lasting gift. And so, of course, she has, I have this in my hand, she's given it to me, and I'm standing there with tears in my eyes, looking at this in the middle of Makers, thanking her for this beautiful and special gift. And just thinking, even in that moment, man, I, I wonder if we will give this to our kids one day, and, and just the legacy of what she had given me. And again, I, I know very little about Gretel's life, but I know that she loves the Lord. And because of that, we share this bond. We share this unity. And so I'm standing there with tears in my eyes in the middle of Makers. Kids are running around screaming. Orders are being called. And in tears, I just tell her, Gretel, thank you. And I will never forget. She just put her hand on my arm and she said, isn't it wonderful to be in the family of God? Isn't it wonderful that we can have differences? We, can, we might not even know that much about each other. We can have different secondary opinions and beliefs on what's important, what matters, and, and the secondary things. But isn't it wonderful to be in the family of God, that we have something that unites us? Even when we might not know each other that well or, or agree with each other in everything, we have a love 
through the unity of Christ that unites us. It's because of his love that we can come into alignment, that we can be united, that we can have kindred spirits in Christ. And this is, this is Paul's call to the church of Philippians. He knew that the Philippians needed a deep abiding internal unity among themselves if the message of Jesus was going to transform their community, a deep abiding internal unity. And so do we. We as the church, this is not just a, a letter to some church a couple thousand years ago. This is a message for the church and the followers of Jesus today that we have to have an abiding internal unity in the family of God. This is a unity that you cannot find outside of the kingdom of heaven. You cannot be united in love with anything else. Did you know that just this past week, I'm sure a lot of you heard, there was uh, a potential government shutdown. They were just gonna say, we're closed for the time being. We're just gonna shut down because members of the same political party could not agree on an issue. This is how the world operates. Even people who are supposed to share the same beliefs, they cannot come together. They cannot live in unity. But this is the call of God and this is Paul's message to the church at Philippi that we are to be united in the love of God. It does not make sense to the world, but we are called to be united with one another. The church, the global church, we just prayed for Israel. We're called to be united with the global church, but can you look around in this room? You are called to be united in the love of Christ despite your differences, despite your preferences with the people who are sitting next to you. You are called to be united in the love of God. It's only in the love of God that we can find this real unity. And that's what Paul calls us to. And then he goes on and he says this. So that's what, that's what you have to do. You have to be united in Christ's unity. And this is how you're gonna do it. He goes on and he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And that's the second thing. We have to guard our hearts against selfishness in the family of God. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That is a call for followers of Jesus. It is not... When you need to get ahead, we understand. It's not um, every once in a while it's okay to do the things that, that you want to do. This is do nothing. This is a clear call to followers of Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy in the family of God. And what, what are these things? What is selfish ambition? Working towards something that is going to satisfy you and your wants and your desires and your preferences for you. That is selfish ambition. And it's really special here. Paul did not say, do nothing out of ambition, right? He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Ambition is not a bad thing. That is not an evil thing. Thank God for the people of God who are ambitious and who work and, and desire and have ambition, thank God for that, but it is selfish ambition that will never fulfill us. It will leave us unsatisfied. And vain conceit, literally translated, vain conceit from the original text means empty glory. John Tyson, the pastor of Church of the City in New York, he says that we are living in a glory deficit. We are living in a time of empty glory where 
We want so badly to have recognition and admiration and uh, for people to, to even acknowledge and respect us. We are living in a time of vain, empty glory. There are some verses, uh, I won't read them all, they're in the sermon's notes if you want to go back and look at these, but Isaiah, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Matthew, these scriptures point to the fact that you and I, we were made for the glory of God. That is who we are. We are people who are made for the glory of God, and that is our purpose, to glorify God. There's a, a little book that was written in the 1600s by a group of theologians that came together, and basically it was a Q&A. It was 107 questions, this Q&A, of how to live the Christian life. And one of the questions was, what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what's the point? What is the purpose to all of this? And the answer was, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is what we're called to. That is what these scriptures point to, that we are called to glorify God. But it's the heart of man that twists our innate desire and purpose to glorify God and turns the focus into glorifying ourselves. This is what we were made for. We were made to glorify God. But it's our, our, the selfish heart of man that twists it and turns it and takes the attention and the focus and the heart away from the very heart of God and into what we want, what we prefer, what we think we deserve, what we desire. Can I give you a quick stat? I thought this was interesting. Last year, there was a poll done, uh, and th these are some statistics from the Federal Trade Commission. In 2022, 5.15 million consumer complaints were filed with the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S. 5.15 million consumer complaints were filed. These are people who are unhappy, dissatisfied, they're filing their complaints. Putting in the work, I mean, you know how hard it is sometimes, customer service, dialing the phone number, waiting forever. They're really making an effort to complain here and submit their complaints. 5.15 million people did that last year. Do you know how many people did that in 2001? 325,000 not even half a million people. So we are increasingly becoming a society that is more and more comfortable with complaining and being dissatisfied with what we have and speaking up and saying about it so that we make sure we get our way. This is just such a simple statistic that reflects the, the state of our society, of the world, of who the, the heart of man, of this nature of who people are, we are increasingly becoming more comfortable and more okay with demanding our own way. But in the kingdom of heaven, God says, you have to guard your heart against selfishness. We can do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We are to guard our hearts from selfishness in the kingdom of God. And so this is, this is what Paul tells us. He says we have to be united in love. The only way we're going to be united in love is if we guard our hearts against selfishness, do nothing for selfish reasons. Rather, this is the alternative. In this upside-down kingdom of heaven, the world says, do what you want. Do it for, for your glory, for your ambition, for your success. Do what you want. But the kingdom of heaven says, rather... 
in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If we are to find joy in humility, then we have to operate out of an others-centered love. This is the call of Jesus for the people of God. We have to operate out of an others-centered love. Before Chandler and I got married, he had this saying, and we like to remind each other of it from time to time. We say it a good bit, and it's just a good reminder for us when, man, marriage is humbling. That if you are married, you know it is a humbling experience to put someone else before yourself. And so Chandler started saying this, and we remind ourselves from time to time that marriage is only as easy as you are selfless. Marriage is only as easy as you are selfless. And so our goal in our marriage that we set from the beginning was that we were going to outserve each other. That was going to be our goal, to outserve one another. Because it's only as easy as you are selfless. And if that is true, some of you who have been married for a long time, you can attest to that that if it's only as easy as you are selfless, then the adverse is true. It's got to be true that it's only as hard as you are selfish. And so maybe today you find yourself in a place where you are dissatisfied. And it, it could be with anything in your life. It could be with your career or your finances, where you are in life. You're not as far ahead as you expected. It could be in your marriage. You are dissatisfied. You don't feel loved. You don't feel heard. Maybe it's in your relationship with your children. Maybe it is with your church. Maybe you are dissatisfied. But it is only as easy as you are selfless. The more we do this, the more we get a hold of this humble heart, a heart that says, my love, my pride, it's going to be laid down. I'm going to go low so that somebody else can be raised high. I'm going to pour out my heart and my love, I'm going to be selfless for the sake of someone else. And can you imagine, just like in a marriage, where two people are constantly bowing down, going low to serve the other's needs. Do you know what happens when, when a husband and wife are, are submitted to the needs of the other, are focused on the needs of the other? Nobody's needs go unmet. If Chandler is serving me and I'm serving Chandler, nobody's needs go unmet. And that is how it is in the family of God. Can you just imagine with me? Can you just picture a church, a family, a community where nobody's needs ever go unmet? Where, where no one's needs are not answered. Where no one uh, is not uh, full of love from others because the people around them, because the family of God are constantly humbling themselves, where everyone's needs are met, not because people are standing up and saying, this is what I want, this is what I prefer, this is what I demand, and if you're not gonna do it, I'm gone. Not where people are demanding of their own preferences, but where people say, I'm gonna humble myself with a humble heart to be united in the love of God with these people not for my own gain, not for my own glory. I'm gonna humble myself for the people of God so that nobody's needs go unmet, so that everybody is seen, so that everybody is heard, so that everybody feels wanted and appreciated. I will humble myself for the needs of others. 
This is the call of Jesus. This is what we are called to do. Paul goes on in Philippians, the next passage of verses here. And he paints a picture of the gospel for us. This is actually a poem in the book of Philippians. And a lot of people think that this was a song or a hymn that was sung back then that Paul included in this letter. But it is one of the most beautiful, just condensed versions of the gospel that we get. It's worth committing to memory because this is the message of Jesus. This is what Paul said. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Can I tell you something about the humility of Jesus? This is another thought from John Tyson at Church of the City, but the humility of Jesus. Jesus had no property, he had no home, he had no land. Jesus had no wealth, his ministry was funded by women. He had no boat, he had to borrow his disciples' boat when he wanted to go and teach. He had no room for Passover. He had to borrow it for the Passover supper. He had no horse. He had to borrow a donkey to ride it into Jerusalem before the crucifixion. And even in death, the humble man of Jesus, he had no tomb. He had to borrow the tomb of someone else, even in death. Jesus was humble. He goes on to say, therefore, God exalted him. Because of this, because of what God has done, because of his humility, he was in equality. He was he, with, in the same status with God, but yet he stripped himself of that status and humbled himself to this, to this life of humility, of serving others, of being made nothing. He stripped himself of every, every bit of status, everything that he had, even to death. This was the life of Jesus, a life of humility. And can I remind you, our lives are, our, our call is to mimic the life of Christ. We are called to this life of humility. But look what happened. Therefore, because of that, after that, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. This is the hope that we have in Christ. This is the gospel, that God would humble himself for us. And then, that he would find joy through the humility, he would find joy. Hebrews says that he, he ran the race of endurance, endurance, that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. He did it for the joy set before him. This is the message of Jesus, and this is the humble heart of God for his people, and this is the life that we are called 
to imitate. Thanks for listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a need, we would love to pray with you. You can connect with our prayer team by emailing prayer at church2911.com or by texting 205-476-2911. You can learn more about our church by visiting us online at church2911.com and by connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram at church2911. We hope this message has encouraged you and reminded you that God loves you and has an amazing dream for your life. As always, we dare you to dream.